following podcast brought to you by MadisonSports.com, your home for Orioles and Nationals baseball. AOS fans, welcome to this week's edition of Yard Work alongside Steve Molesky. I'm Brian Eller. Uh, Steve, we took off last week for the All-Star break, but um, how are things going for you? Things are going good, Brian. It's good to have the Orioles uh, finally back at home where they played so well. And so um, it should be a fun weekend coming up with the Cleveland Indians who have the best record in the American League. Absolutely. It should be a good series. Uh, one that probably was was pretty much overlooked uh, when the schedule was made, but uh, you got two teams that are right in the thick of it, so that will be a nice weekend. But i got to tell you, Steve, looking at the blog and comments over this past week, we, we may as well not even – you know, do podcasts anymore because boy, the season's over. Please. You know, trade, trade everybody away. It seems like doomsday. You know, it, it was uh, it was kind of you know rare to see them go through a slump like that, especially with the offense struggling. But um, but I gotta tell you, man, it, the the doomsdayers were out in, on full force this past week. It felt like uh, they were, man. You should see my Twitter, which is worse <laughs> than ever. Twitter is just the wild, wild west, man, where people just say and do anything and. Uh, I I don't remember when I was younger, kid growing up, you know, into my teenage years, a real diehard Oriole fan, kid growing up in Baltimore, um, the doom and gloom with, with a couple losses that we get today. I don't know whether it's the instant gotta have it this minute society or or what, but I try to remember that this is a long haul, and there's no way in six months to avoid slow times, down times. And on the big picture, the Orioles, as we tape this, are half game out of first place, and I think they're going to be around till the end. Um, but um, some people really got down with a few losses in New York. Absolutely, and and it's for once it was rare to kind of t- you know whenever we do the the recaps every every episode and we look at how the team's doing, it's usually the pitching that was uh, you know kind of where the question marks are or where that was keeping the Orioles from really running away with things, but the offense kind of took a turn, kind of going through a dip, but like you said, I mean, boy, they're still hitting it at an incredible pace for the season. They still have one of the best lineups in, in, in all of baseball, and um, you know, hey, sometimes you're going to go through a couple slumps, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a, a little while to get started after the All-Star break, but um, that was that was a little interesting. I think that's what maybe threw fans in a little bit of a titty this most recent stretch here was kind of saying, okay, well, Wait a minute. The thing we relied on for a long time, it, it, you know, the the great hitting. Now that that seems to be going away too. But again, like you said, it, it's such a long season that the, it was a four game losing streak. Um, certainly not not the end of the world by any stretch. No, and I mean they're just they're just um, the Orioles just are not a smooth and consistent offensive team. And I think we knew that again going into the season. And that doesn't probably make it easier for fans to take it when there's a down cycle, but. It's the it's the same team that averaged 6.6 runs a game in June, which to me is a stunning total to have scored that many runs in a month. That wasn't a good series or a good homestand. They averaged nearly seven runs a game for an entire month. I mean, they were raking. And so uh, it kind of culminated uh, this incredible stretch of hitting with that San Diego series when they scored 12 and 13 runs. And then they went to Seattle and lost four straight. So it, it does turn. And so... It's the old story, you know, you got to ride out the highs and minimize the lows and hope when it's over you've done enough to win a division. And so um, right now, uh, I think being back home will be good for the offense. Hot and humid, the ball carries, and I just I just see this team hitting some home runs during this homestand at the yard. Absolutely, and, and they'll be thankful for that. I think 
I think, Steve, the, the biggest high for this entire season has to be Chris Tillman. I mean, I, I just look at, especially coming off of yesterday's uh, game against the Yankees in the, in the series finale, he was just uh, just wonderful. You know, throwing seven innings, one hit ball, especially when the team was struggling kind of down. They needed, you know, um, an effort from their ace, and they got it yesterday. I, to me, he's the most, you know, Trumbo's surpassing expectations. Machado's, you know, still playing like an MVP caliber player. Zach Britton's, uh, you know, great in the bullpen. But to me, I, I think Chris Tillman has just has just really shown that he's been the brightest spot among a number of bright spots on this team this year. Well, we we thought he could have a bounce back year because he's pitched more good than not good over his last couple seasons, and he did. And he really, it's clear he was determined this winter to be completely healthy, and I think he had a few nagging things last year, and just be ready to go. And um, for whatever reason, however he's done it, his pitch mix has been outstanding, and the command of four pitches has been outstanding. So there are some pitchers who probably throw as good a slider or curveball uh, and change up, but can they command them and mix them so well over nine innings and over the entire season as he has? Uh, Really special and big outing in New York because, you know, they scored two runs in the first inning and it didn't score again until the seventh. And on some nights, if the starter had given up six, that game would have looked over in the third inning. But but Tillman didn't, and he kept that lead throughout the game, and then Scope was able to get the big hit to give him some insurance. Yeah. Do you think it really is was just getting healthy during the offseason for Tillman that, that kind of helped with that switch? I mean, you mentioned... And I think Buck even talked in post game yesterday about the command of those all four pitches. And I mean, we've used that old adage before in earlier episodes. You know, you have one good pitch, you can compete. Two, you can win. Three, you can dominate. I mean, when he's when he's firing all of those pitches kind of at will and understanding when you know situationally when it's okay to use those, he's uh, he's pretty unstoppable. You think it just was getting healthy that was uh, the switch? Point? He mentioned something in a mass interview. I think he did with uh, Jim Palmer about his ankle bothering him at times last year. And, you know, sometimes, Brian, we go through these season and we ask the players, are you hurt? What about this? And they might be hurting a little bit, but they either don't want to reveal it or they don't want to make an excuse. And so uh, they're not as forthcoming with that, which is that's that's their right. And as a competitor, you know, Buck, we see this all the time with Buck. He's just not going to totally give the extent of an injury or he won't even reveal if a player is available or not in a given game. And so um, – I think there's a lot of things we don't completely know about, and that's the way they like it, and probably all teams feel that way. So to what extent he was bothered by anything last year, I'm not sure, but I think he's not bothered by anything this year. And, you know, um, some pitchers just might have two good pitches on a night or three, but it seems like Tillman, and it varies from start to start. One starter may be, wow, his changeup was great tonight, or the next one is curve. But it seems most nights he has most of those pitches. And so that's really a good arsenal to draw from. And you take his competitive nature with his talent, with the ability to have those pitches going, and the determination he has to have a better year, you're getting what we're seeing. Yeah, I, I... I certainly think he'll be in consideration for the Cy Young. I'm not sure if he'll take it home, but, hey, there's still a long way to go. So we'll see. He's, uh, he's definitely in the driver's seat for having his, his best season by far. Um, kind of staying with pitching, Steve, let's talk about uh, kind of a little bit of, of news uh, downside that happened yesterday, learning that Hunter Harvey uh, is going to go undergo Tommy John surgery. 
Um, boy, this guy just can't seem to catch a break, can he? No, and I mean, maybe in a, in a crazy way, this this will have a happy ending because at least the elbow, knock on wood, will be fixed. Because right. for two years, it's been stops and starts with this elbow, and they never reached a point until now when they thought surgery was what they had to do. It was always like, well, and you know, they're going through Dr. Andrews on this, so this isn't like the this isn't like Richie Bansell's making all the decisions or Buck. Right. They're going through doctors saying, you know, I see on the MRI healing, and I think he can rehab it, and that was what the medical people said to do. So now it finally reached a point where it's it it just didn't get right ever, and so it's been two years. And within those two years, he got hit by a comebacker in spring training. He had sports hernia surgery. It wasn't just the elbow, but the other things you can fix that. But if the elbow keeps, you keep having setbacks. The surgery, at least with Tommy John, we know it's very, very successful. The problem now is it's 12 to 18 months before his stuff will be where it should be. And so that takes him out of obviously this year year, and probably next year. And even so, when you start in 2018, he still may not, he not have the crispness, and it may take a while. So we're going to have to put Hunter on the back burner for a while and he's got a long road back but the the good news is he can go to dylan bundy and many others who have had this surgery and in the end uh, you get a good result it just takes a while i think you said it right there i mean you can look at a guy like bundy who's who's been there you know it's a long it's a long path it's probably he's probably more discouraged than than any Orioles fan out there would be at that news but um and like you said i think it with today's advancement tommy john is no longer at the the death sentence, quote unquote, that, that it used to be. Uh, you know, as athletes can recover from from things like that, and um, hopefully we'll see him come back stronger. And like you said, if it's fixed, uh, that that can at least get him on the right path uh, with a with a good yeah. arm. So hopefully um, he's pitching late in 2017 because you can right. pitch 12 to 13 months out. So he's getting the surgery um, in what late July of 2016. So maybe by late July of 17 into August, maybe he gets in a few games in Florida or Aberdeen, and then maybe he pitches some winter ball. Maybe that's what they do, or Arizona Fall League or something to get a few innings and then hit the ground running hopefully in 2018. Um, and when he's healthy, I've seen this kid healthy. I mean, I was there in Delmarva. Um, it's been a long time now, the night that he and Lucas Giolito matched up with Giolito for Hagerstown and Harvey for uh, Delmarva. And they both were great. Uh, they both looked like top pitching prospects that night. Now, Giolito's had health, and he's already made the majors. Okay. And ha- Hunter may have, been, have followed a similar path, but he didn't have the health. So I, I do. I'm not saying he's Giolito, but I'm saying a healthy Hunter could be that kind of guy for the Orioles. So the problem is it's probably going to be four years uh, from you go back to July of 2014 when this first uh, started to maybe July of 2018 when he's totally right. That's a long time, but, I mean, he's still a young kid and he'll still have a lot of years ahead of him. That's a good thing uh, baseball fans are so patient these days, right, Steve? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> absolutely. So, I mean, and- good for him that he's got a major league father there. and I mean, he's got a great support group. He's told me over the years his father and his older brother, who played in the minors for a while, are a really good support group for him. and. I mean, this kid's the son of a major league pitcher, so he was not abused on the amateur level. We know that. His father looked over him, and and you just don't know how and why these things happen. And, and so uh, 
he's a great kid. A few times I've talked to Hunter. I'm very impressed with him, and he impressed the Oriole people in spring training. So um, look forward to a successful surgery for him. Absolutely. Good pedigree, just waiting for the health to, to come in. So um, if there's any bit of good news from the health side, uh, Darren O'Day, I believe he's will pitch at Bowie tonight. Uh, not very much, I think, just, just an inning. Um, to, to, as far as his working back up to, to getting to full health. So, but he's expected to be activated, uh, hopefully sometime next week. Um, again, the, the bullpen has, has still flourished, uh, even in his absence. But, um, as we've seen, it's certainly one of the more taxed units in, in the major. So, um, adding him back in, into the swing of things will certainly, certainly be, uh, a welcome, a welcome addition for Buck. Oh, welcome addition. So, I mean, you lock down those late, last three innings. With uh, Bob, as Rick Dempsey likes to call him, Brock O'Day Britain. And so whether the order will change now, we'll see. But um, it'll be great to have him back. And I I guess as soon as possibly Sunday, we'll see how soon he can get back here. Yeah, absolutely. And I I tell you, I I had never heard you use that term, Bob, or Buck use the term Bob, but I I love that. I think that's awesome. With uh, and it's certainly been very effective. Rocco Day Britain in there. So yeah, um, Demper. That's what Demper calls him, and he's right. I mean, that's the way we've seen it. So. Uh, the order, I mean, will I, you know, Buck has talked about Darren not jumping right back into the eighth inning, which will be interesting to see how he uses him, but at least he'll have him back and available late in the game. Absolutely. Is it too, is it too early to speculate on what, uh, who might get moved out of the bullpen to make room for O'Day when he comes back and he saw? I don't know on. what they're going to do. I mean, they got Ovaldo sitting there and he can't be optioned. And so, I mean, he's the least effective or least used of the guys there. And, um, I don't know how they're going to do that. Uh, you know, they have other guys. Uh, Roe cannot be optioned. Right. Uh, who am I missing here? I'm blanking on some of the guys that can't, probably can be, but they're Donnie going to Hart's have to. Donnie Hart's an independent there. And, and Donnie Hart has looked good yep. as a lefty. He could go yep. out, but then you're down to one lefty again. Now, maybe maybe O'Day's being back, who can get out lefties and righties, helps helps that, and there's less. Uh, need for Donnie Hart, but I'll say this: Donnie Hart has shown well, you know, in his chances. Absolutely, and I think I think keep an eye on what happens Sunday. Uh, I believe Vance Worley's starting, so it, you know if he only can go four, four and a third, five innings, the bullpen could have a long day on Sunday, and that could you know certainly play play into a decision to move somebody if O'Day's ready to come back that soon. So uh, fans, be sure to keep an eye out for Sunday's match, just kind of a chess match that comes with uh, managing that bullpen. And as we said, Buck is the uh, the best when it comes to doing that, so that'll be interesting to see. Um, I kind of wanted to switch gears just a little bit, Steve. One thing I noticed yesterday, um, Caleb Joseph, who's been, you know, really kind of been the man behind the plate with Weeders after Weeders took that that, uh, that hit-by-pitch. Um, he started three games in a row. He could make his fourth start tonight for the series over against Cleveland. Um, yesterday, though, he's thrown together two hits. I know he's still searching for that elusive first home run, first RBI, but we've kind of talked um, – you know, earlier about how it's hard for players and hitters to kind of get into a rhythm when you're not playing every day. And we've seen Caleb be able to, to get in the lineup the past few days. And yesterday we kind of saw the results. Is that, is that kind of what you, what you subscribe to the fact that, you know, momentum really comes when you have a chance to get into a rhythm and kind of be in that lineup for uh, a couple of days in a row. Well, you know, he, he hit pretty well last year with, with not regular, uh, playing time, and I, I think he can do it. I think he's learned uh, more about how to handle that now. He, I, I think he's just scuffling, you know, these last yeah. few weeks. Uh, I think he was like two for 40 or something before he got two hits uh, on Thursday at New York. And so 
I, I mean, he he'll, he's a better hitter than what he's shown, and so fans on my blog say go get Pena, but I don't I don't see the team uh, thinking that. I think they're very happy with Caleb's uh, defense, right. how he calls the game. He's he's kind of a, a quiet leader in that clubhouse, and I think the pitchers really believe in him, and so that's job one. Uh, and we know Caleb is very good at job one. And job two is try to help out a little on offense, and so. Um, He's just better than 150, 160, so some hits have to be coming, and maybe when that first RBI plunks in, more will, will come, and he'll kind of get that pressure off his back. Absolutely. Just remember, fans, if your backup catcher was supposed to hit 300, he wouldn't be a backup catcher. So That's true. Uh, that's always very good to keep in mind. Um, but it was nice to see him get a couple hits yesterday, and hopefully that'll uh, put some confidence in him, and um, we'll see him go a little bit of tear here. So, um, so Steve, as we get into the dog days here, uh, trade deadline is uh, starting to heat up. Um, of course, you know Dan Duquette and the Orioles organizations may know, uh, you know, they've haven't shied away from the fact that they're looking to upgrade the starting rotation. Um, we talked about how the market is kind of thin out there for, um, for for starting pitching, but there are a few names out there. I think one thing that's interesting is whenever teams are in discussion with the Orioles about you know talent that they want Baltimore to give up. Uh, there are a lot of names mentioned that I know we've said repeatedly, it seems every year, names like Kevin Gosman, Dylan Bundy are on the list for the other teams. And as we've, we've known for a long time, the Orioles just aren't going to part with, uh, you know, they don't want to part with those guys. Um, I mean, are you hearing anything in terms of, you know, any moves that the Orioles might make or who they might be looking at or willing to, to part with on their end? I mean, I do think if we see a deal, it won't be, a blockbuster A, B, it probably won't be for a top-of-rotation starter because I'm not sure there even is one available for any team. And if there were one available, there would probably be several teams that could put a package of prospects together to trump the Orioles. So that brings you to three, option three, get a mid-mid-to-late rotation guy who might help win a few more games than you would have won without him which could make the difference. And so I think the Orioles have to consider that with a rotation ERA over five. If they could bring in someone who could be a three, four, or five and pitch well, they have to look at it. And so, you know, I mentioned Jeremy Hellickson because the Orioles scouted him this week, according to several reports, and he's pitching well currently. He's a rental, so the price is less when you acquire a pitcher who you may only have for a couple months. Um, as opposed to what you might have to give up for a pitcher with more team control. And fans say, well, then that gets you back in the same spot next year where, where your rotation is lacking again, but next year maybe Bundy's in the rotation most of the year. Right. So maybe they're, maybe they're next year. I, I think you worry about next year after this year. Uh, uh, you know, Dan Duquette, he has to look at the big picture and the, and the, and the, and the immediate picture. But the immediate picture is, the Blue Jays and the and the Red Sox are breathing down the Orioles' neck, and each night is critical to eke out each win you can to beat those two teams out and win the East. And if Hellickson could upgrade and the price is reasonable, or a Hellickson type, someone similar, I think they got to take a good hard look at it. And I know fans don't like rentals, but um, I think you got to take a good hard look at it if it helps you win this year. So we'll see how that plays out. Philadelphia and Baltimore seems like a natural trade partner with Andy McPhail uh, over there now um, and Matt Klintak, and those guys know all these Oriole minor leaguers. They acquired a bunch of them. So um, that could that could be a, ma- that could be a ma- uh, match there. Absolutely. And I, 
I agree. You do have to balance the the you know the short term with the long term in terms of building the team together. But um, but I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that all oh, we'll just be in this situation next year. I mean, we've seen time and time again, Steve. Next season, there's so much that can happen. You know, in in the off season with with free agency and you know winter meetings and you know if if farm prospects you know really reach their potential and like you said, Dylan Bundy could be in the rotation you know permanently by next year. Um, there's just it's next year's a little too far out to make make me would make me gun shy about you know trying to improve the team you know to win a championship and get back to the playoffs for this year you know. I, I agree with you. I think July trades are often about this year. What can we do for the next two months? And winter trades are more about building our team. Uh, you know, the winter meetings, things like that, uh, free agency. Um, you know, who knows? Gallardo, maybe he continues to get healthier and healthier and strengthen in that shoulder, and he's he's his old self uh, later this year and next year, and that that would be a plus. And Gosman continues to get better and Bundy's in the rotation more and so Chris Lee maybe finally gets healthy you know things like that so you're right next year there'll be some options for the rotation but they gotta they gotta worry about this year first absolutely and uh just looking up Hellickson he's three and two uh career at pitching at Camden Yards with a with a five ERA just over five so uh decent numbers and hopefully he could help out the Orioles if they uh do add him to the rotation um, but we'll see on that. We got a, a few a few weeks left before that trade deadline, and a lot of rumors are going to be flying uh, before then. So we'll see what goes down. Um, real quick, Steve, in terms of the uh, minor leagues, I know something that kind of news that kind of broke during the day yesterday, which kind of got overshadowed because the Orioles were playing yesterday, was the Orioles um, did come to terms with uh, Brandon Bonilla, um, the uh, 13th round pick in this year's draft, uh, the son of you know Bobby Bonilla, got son of Barry Bonds. Um, so a good left-handed pitcher there. And I think overall the Orioles have come to terms with almost all of their draft picks, 34 of the 41. Um, just kind of as a draft class recap, are, are, are you, you think this was a successful draft class in terms of being able to come to terms with these guys and, and helping out? Well, we're going to see how they do, but it was very successful signing. Um, by my count, the Orioles signed the first 17 players they drafted. That's and great. 24 of the first 25. Uh, the only one they didn't get was the young man from Baltimore area who's going to the University of Maryland, Bloom, uh, right. who they knew was a tough sign, had a firm commitment. So they, they drafted him, took a shot. And so you're right, 34 of 41 was signed. That's the most uh, under Gary Rasich in terms of numbers. And teams, I don't think teams usually sign quite that many. So they used up all their budget. They were allotted for the first 10-round picks. They signed a couple players to the max. Uh, you could sign uh, after from round 11 on. You can sign up to 100,000, and that's what Brandon Bonilla got. And one player got more, and that came out of the pool, the top 10 round pool. And I believe that was their 16th round pick. So um, they did really well with the numbers. So now, Brian, we have to see how good these guys are, and we won't know all that for a couple years. But Brandon Bonilla is a left-hander with a really live arm. Bobby, godson of Barry Bonds. The Orioles drafted him two years ago and made a push to get him. Never really got that close. He stayed in school. And the thing about it that I did, I did not know this rule until they told me at the deadline, as a fifth-year senior, he could be signed after the deadline, I guess because his eligibility is up and he doesn't have the option to go back to school. Um, 
And so the deadline applied to all the players they drafted except Bonilla, who they got after the so-called deadline because he was a fifth-year senior. And uh, the guy they drafted two years ago, they finally got. Now, Stephen, your experience when you know when you think about signing these draft picks, um, you know, on the outside, you, you, you think, okay, well, the organization they drafted these guys, so they obviously are encouraged and want them to sign. Players are being drafted; it's giving their major league dream of uh, you know being drafted, so they are obviously encouraged to to to, to get a deal done. Um, is there any one factor that really is the commonality for, for getting in the way from, from picks that don't end up signing? Is it, is it a money issue? Is it a, uh, you know, they want to go to school if they're, if they're, you know, being drafted out of high school? What, in your experience, is there any one thing that really kind of is the ultimate roadblock for, for picks that don't end up signing? Well, I mean, keep in mind, okay, so they didn't sign seven picks. Again, that's that you got to expect at least that and probably more. And, and so it, it is often guys who want to go to school or want to continue um, to, to um, advance their resume, Brian, for sure. the draft. Because if you're drafting around 28 and you're only offered $50,000 um, and you're a high school kid, you know, you might have people telling you, man, after after a couple of years of college, you're going to be drafted in the fifth round and you're going to get 600000 sure. Uh So you run the risk that you'll be terrible and you won't get drafted. But a lot of these kids do go to school and improve their stock and get bigger and better and stronger and all that. And so um, some of them actually want the education, although that's probably uh, – you know, when we're talking about the dollars we're talking about, let's be honest, a lot of this is... Pretty tempting, how, yeah. Yeah, how can I position myself to um, enter baseball and maybe enter it with a $2 million signing bonus uh, as well as I go in? So a lot of kids do look at this, and I think a lot of times they draft players. Uh, as they get later in the draft, they, they fill some organizational needs. They'll draft a guy who probably doesn't have the talent, barring something unforeseen to make the majors, but... He might be a good infielder, left-side infielder they need at the lower levels or something. They do some of that, but not much of that. But, <clears throat> so long story short, I think a lot of this is about kids wanting to uh, go back in the draft when their bargaining position and their talent is better a year or two down the road. Gotcha, absolutely. But still 34 out of 41, that's, uh, as you said, a pretty successful uh haul for, uh, for this year. So yeah, that's big, good, good for number for the Orioles. I mean, they pumped, that's a lot of talent there hopefully it's going to be talent we'll see pumping into right. the pipeline there that's right we'll give it a few years so but uh so all right Steve, so looking ahead uh we've talked a little bit about orioles are coming back home welcoming the indians who are probably one of the biggest surprises in baseball i think uh if the orioles do end up winning the american league east um and the indians end up winning the central we'll be interesting to see uh for manager of the year uh frank Cohen versus showalter because i think both have and very much exceeded expectations. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. We got a long way to go before that. But um Orioles come home. They got three against Cleveland, three against Colorado. Um Steve, are you gonna go into the clubhouse today with any sort of gloves on, surgical mask? I mean, I, I don't want you catching the flu, man. That's that's been that's been a You know what? I'm I'm probably the opposite of a germaphobe, and by that I don't mean I'm a slob because I hope I'm I hope I'm not, but I I take the outlook that we could pick up a germ as anywhere in our walks of life and you take precautions and you wash your hands and you do the common sense things that we all do. But 
if you're going to get sick, it can happen anywhere you're going to go throughout the day. You could run into a germ some at the gas station, at the restaurant, in your own home, in the ballpark, in the clubhouse, uh, in the store, in wherever. So at the gym. So um, I'm not going to worry too much about it, and I'm going to hope that most of those Orioles start to get healthy for the sake of the club. Absolutely. Not, not to mention those of us who will be in that clubhouse. Well, look for me. I'll be the one in the hazmat suit down the clubhouse. Cause I, I know. That is so I funny, can... Buck, with the gloves shaking hands yesterday. But, I mean, if you were as sick as he was, I mean, that seems oh, yeah. to be the prudent thing to have that, that he did. Absolutely. I mean, it was interesting that he was, he was so sick he couldn't make it to the to the stadium. I know. Um, you know, he's got that, that had to have made him even feel worse. And then yesterday, you know, he likes to perch up on that dugout there on those steps, but he was staying out of the sun, I think, because he was probably trying to, to nip that in the bud. So, um, hopefully he's over it and at least on the men now, which is nice. And I'm just hoping, you know, the rest of the team, we don't see, you know, I, I don't even know who's left on the team that hasn't been hit yet by that bug. So, uh, well, hopefully they'll be at full, full strength and got a lot of disinfecting going through the clubhouse right now. So, um, exactly. so Steve, enjoy the series. Stay cool. Stay healthy. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll chat next week. Sounds good, Brian. Thanks. All right. See you, man.